Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Today, I have the honor of talking with Jason Gaddis. I'll share his official bio and then share a little personal details after that. So Jason Gaddis is a relationship student and teacher, host of the Smart Couple podcast, and founder of the Relationship School. He's on a mission to teach people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do intimate relationships. That's why he founded the Relationship School. He was emotionally constipated for years before relationship failure forced him to turn his life over to learning about relationships. Now he's married to an an amazing wife since 2007 after some brutal breakups, and he has two beautiful kids, and when he doesn't live and breathe his stuff with his family, he pretty much gets his ass handed to him. It's a great bio. Um, he also is the brand new author of The Smart Couple, quote book, Radically Simple Ways to Avoid Pointless Fights, Have Better Sex, and Build an Indestructible Partnership. I've known Jason for many years, well over a decade, maybe even 14 years. He got his master's degree in psychology from Naropa University the same school that I went to years ago. We both live with our families in Boulder, Colorado, so we get to see each other around town every once in a while with our families, and we even met recently to talk books and book launches and all of that. And Jason, it's such an honor to have you today. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. That was a sweet intro. I'm grateful and psyched to be here, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. So there there are a series of questions that I'm going to be asking everyone, but I like this to be spontaneous as well, and I have some questions that are geared just from what I know about you and your relationship to money, and like, like QuickBooks and your journey into QuickBooks and how long that yeah. took and all of that. Yeah. So, but let's begin. I want to hear... I'd love you to share just a little snapshot of family, work, life right now, and then we'll dive more into personal money stories. Okay, cool. Yeah, so as the bio said, I'm uh, married. I got a couple kids, and uh, I love my life. I love my mission, what I'm here to do on the planet. 
I work hard and constantly a journey to increase my own wealth in my life and uh, really, really loving learning about continuing to learn about money and money psychology and wealth building and investing and just, you know, continuing to grow up there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the short of it. Okay. Um, one thing that I want to say that blew my mind when we met recently, we were talking about books and book launches, but I yeah. said something to you about working with couples, and you said to me, I work with couples sometimes, but mostly I don't any longer, and I now work with the individual and the one person who's really ready and raring to go, um, yeah. and it blew my mind. <laughs> It really blew my mind. I want to talk about that for a second. Um, one is that, you know, for years I've seen that there is one person who is raring to go, takes more of the initiative, feels they need to do this work, and they're just more ready. And the other person either needs their arm twisted or, you know, is just not interested. Or maybe one day down the road they start looking over the shoulder of the other person. And I love when two people come and they're willing and ready but um, something about you saying that to me just rocked my world and, and was wonderful and allowed me to release something of like, I have to get couples into the program. And that I haven't been doing that. I've been more like just whoever's ready, if you're ready, come do the work. Your, your partner will eventually start looking over your shoulder. Can you share a little bit more about this? Yeah. Yeah, we had, I remember that too. We had a bonding moment there because <laughs> – a lot of people assume that we work with couples or I work with couples because they hear relationships. Like, oh, that must be couples. Um, but as you know, it's uh, often not the couple. Uh, it's the squeaky wheel, whoever, or the person that's just hungry or in pain that comes to my doorstep and is like, I need help here. And it's awesome, like you said, when there's both people, but usually it's one person leading the way. And so much of my experience of couples is that part of the pain is that one person wants to work on it and the other or thinks things are fine and is in denial or, or is just not as in touch with the transformation that's available had they if they were going to work on it. So it seems really common that one person will lead the charge, and that's typically who I work with. Mm. And does, this, does the second partner come at some point or – do they show up in the sessions, or does the person who comes to do the work, uh, you know, change so much, realize so much, shift so much in themselves that it changes? The relationship words are just so different with every single couple. Yeah, I, I think it's probably unique to every couple, but there are, um, I guess, some common patterns here, uh, one of which is, what you said that the other person eventually starts looking over their shoulder. And if the, if the person who's doing the work isn't pushing it on the other person and they're just living the change and they're becoming more empowered, the other person gets interested and wants to know what's going on. And, it's, and, and if it's positively impacting the relationship, then the other person is all of a sudden like, okay, what's going on? I, I want to get on board. I, I love what's happening over there. Um, but often, I'd say more often, the other person feels threatened and is feeling like judged and like they're not enough because 
the default in us is if we have a partner that doesn't want to come to therapy with us or take a class or listen to a podcast or read a book, if they don't want that, the person who does want to change tends to try to change them. And that usually backfires, and the person on the receiving end of that feels judged and criticized. And this is like the common uh, dynamic in a relationship is when we want to change our partner. It's like one of the most common relationship issues I see. And that it usually just creates a rift, you know. Um, so part of the work for me is teaching the individual how do we enroll our partner in a way that's effective, um, and if they're still not moving, then how do we start to move on and leave the relationship behind? Mm. So you're okay with that? You're okay with, you know, supporting couples to stay and supporting couples to change the form and to let go? Yeah, totally. I'm a, I'm a big fan of people being true to themselves and their heart and getting more and more empowered in themselves. And it's best, obviously, when both people are doing that and both people yeah. are growing and developing themselves. It's really powerful. But if one person's sitting on a log and the other person's on the move, it's just not going to work out over time. They can do that for phases because that's just real. You know, that's life. Like, yeah. ebbs and flows, yeah. right? Sometimes, okay, we're going through a hard time. The other person isn't or, you know, so. But we want to feel like a team. Like, okay. as long as the feeling in the relationship is, hey, we're a team. And maybe I don't go to therapy, I don't read any books on a relationship, but I'm still willing to listen to you. I'm still willing to receive feedback from you. And I'm still willing to, like, um, keep practicing listening to you in a way that's more effective. If I just do that on my own, because that's, I just know that's going to be better for our relationship, um, great. Uh, but if I'm resistant and we don't need anything, we're that's just not I mean imagine being in business with a business partner who said I don't have anything to learn here and I don't want to work on anything yeah the business isn't going to go anywhere right yeah yeah okay so much more to say about that I do also want to just let everyone know I mean you you're in a monogamous marriage and have been for how many years from beginning to not not even like since you met since we met 14 14 years okay yeah. So 14 years and committed to monogamy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's so much I can say there, but I do want to start segueing into your own money relationship and also couples and money and whatever you're willing to share about that. But let's begin with what do you see as the main emotion that comes up for you around money at this time? And it's probably really different now than what it was a few years ago or five years ago or ten years ago or even growing up. So if you can share a bit of what the combination or cocktail of emotions are when you think about money, feel about, you know, think and feel about money, what comes up? Anger. Anger first, then fear below that. But if I investigate, I'll I'll, I'll find some fear. But usually it's like the knee-jerk thing is I'm pissed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So pissed that you have to deal with this part of life, pissed that what? – what's your version of – It's like, is? why am I not making more money? What the fuck mm. is the problem? Like, why isn't – you know, I, I go into, like, a victim place, and I want to point the finger at something or someone. Um, like, why? And I – because I'm working so hard, and why am I not making more money? And, you know, that this will come up from time to time. And uh, it's usually anger is the default for me. Mm-hmm. 
And has it always been? Has it shifted or is it pretty steady? This is what still comes up first for you, even after working on money for quite a few years now. Yeah, I would say I felt angry in a different way before. So the same emotion, but very different. Um, whereas before I didn't want money because I grew up with privilege. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into my story in a minute. And I didn't, I sort of was differentiating, rebelling against money. So it was like, I don't need money. Fuck money was the, was like my anger toward money. I had a lot of charge around, I don't need money. Money's a problem. Money's bad. Whereas I don't think any of that now. I'm more angry that I want more of it and it's not happening. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So back in the day, let's, let, let's, Talk a little bit about how you grew up and the family that you grew up in. And um, you've already said you grew up with some privilege, so you grew up with some wealth. And can you share more about, yeah, just what were the messages that were passed down? Mom, dad, whoever was raising you, grandparents, what were some of the money messages, patterns that were being passed down, and what did you grow up in around money? Yeah, um I grew up in a you know, middle-class, upper-middle-class family. My parents grew up pretty poor, um, and they wanted to provide a lot for their kids, so my parents paid for college, you know. And I, my dad worked really hard. He was like a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. guy, and he was in the commercial real estate business, and he did well and was successful in his life, and he was just a really hard worker. And he really tried to instill money values, with me and tried to get me to um, learn about money and balance my checkbook. And I just wasn't interested. I wasn't having it. Um, I didn't see, and part of that was I didn't see any, they were giving me things, you know, I didn't have to work for things. I mean, my dad, it's, it's not totally true. Like he really instilled like a, you work your ass off kind of mentality, but it was conflictual because I was also given so many things. Yeah. And I felt like I was given so much that I didn't need to work so hard to get things. There was like I had things. So when people were graduating college and off to make money and go get a real job and stuff, I was like living out of my car trying to be a bum and working outdoor jobs and traveling around the world, hitchhiking around the world and, and having a blast because and living you know, kind of uh, paycheck to paycheck a little bit, but had money in my savings account thanks to my parents. So I had this huge padding, and, the, and they always told me, don't worry, you'll always be taken care of. If you ever fall down and rock bottom, bottom will bail you out and we'll take care of you. So I, I had this message of I don't have anything to worry about. So in a way, it felt like it cut the legs out from under me of trying to earn my own way. I felt like I, I didn't really do that until just a few years ago of getting my act together and being like, oh, I, I need to, because there, there's a sense of confidence and empowerment that is earned that you can only get when it's earned. It can't be given to you. Um, yeah. So I, I had to deal with that and wrestle with that for many, many years. Okay. Hmm. So we're, we're similar. I also grew up in a middle-class family, but your description is more more upper class, meaning from my middle class version was I was given a lot. There was a lot of generosity, but there were also these conditions that weren't always clear or and or I had to work. I had to work at the age 14 and 15, 
right? And my yeah. father didn't. My father didn't say, "Don't worry, honey. There'll always be money." It was at some point I'm going to spend all my money. You're not going to get any. <laughs> you need to make your own. You know. So it sounds like you were given everything, um, and your parents didn't ask you to work, and so no, you didn't they, really. They, no, let, let me clarify. They did. Yeah. I, I had to work. I, I was the kid mowing the lawn. I did dishes. Mm-hmm. I did chores around the house. Mm-hmm. You know, I did all that stuff. I got a job at, uh, I think, 14 also. Every summer I had a job. Um, never had to work during the school year, but always had a summer job. And then in college, I always had a job, even though okay. my tuition was paid for. Um, so it wasn't like I was just um, super privileged in that I just sat around, like, taking my parents, like, paychecks. I was also working and earning my own money, but it came with this padding around it that, um, you know, having, having an allowance growing up um, and just parents who paid for my college, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really need to, uh, it was like my money, the money I earned was like spending money, you know. Got it, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a rent until later on in my 20s, and then then it was. Right, rent or food, you know. And yeah, rent and food. And, go ahead. Uh, and but always a cushion. Sa- always a cushion in that. And then they, it sounds like there was a savings that they gave you as well so that you can live on that post-college. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he taught – it's interesting. My parents taught me to save from a very young age, and I had mm-hmm. a piggy bank. And I saved – I was a saver. Like, I saved so much. I was not um, – I actually did adopt some version of my dad's sort of way around saving. I was pretty frugal. I still am. And I don't just frivolously spend money. Um, so I saved money until college. When I went away to college, I went to school in Fort Lewis down in Durango for a year. And I spent it all that year on pot. Okay. Every mm-hmm. ounce of my earned savings from like age 10 onward was spent mm-hmm. on pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, this so is, you know, this is, I, I've heard everything, but I haven't heard this story yet. I haven't. Yeah. This is a good one. Um, yeah. that you were taught to save. And did you find that that was just part of your nature or you wanted to be like your parents or it was really more natural to you? Um, it was I – don't, I don't know, really. That's a good question. I don't know if um, it was natural. It just – it did feel right, like something about saving and having a big wad of cash and having a bank account that just never went down, really, um, was pretty cool and it kept growing. Now, I didn't invest it in the markets. It was just in a savings account right. until, you know, 19. I think it was ni- age 19 when I spent it all. But, um, yeah, that's uh, and was it, there it a felt goal? right. It felt right. And was there ever a goal or was it just save to save? Yeah, save I don't remember save. there was ever a goal or it was tied to, you know, uh, a teaching around. you got to save 10% of your income every paycheck. I was never um I don't my dad might have said that but I don't remember anything about that. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think I was attached to where I had a connection with what I was saving for other than my parents told me that it's good. Right. It was a good practice, it was a good habit, which is true, yeah. right? Yeah. Um but you didn't know what it was for or there wasn't a plan or you weren't there wasn't a goal where you were saving for something, you know? Right. Like it, exactly. it's yeah. Kids now are saving for college or an Xbox or a phone. Or a car or whatever. Or a car, exactly, exactly. So what was it like for you to hit 19 and then to blow it all on weed? What was that like? What did it feel like? How did you feel after it was gone? 
Um, I didn't. I don't remember feeling anything because I was stoned the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got D's my first year of school. I barely, I barely passed. Um, I just was lost. You know, I was really. I went from high school being kind of popular and fitting in and having great relationships to leaving home, and it was just almost too much. I just got lost and depressed and. Um, Pot was something I found. I didn't smoke pot until college, and so I, I found that and a few friends who smoked, and that's kind of all I remember about my first year of college. Mm-hmm. You could yeah. have used a gap year or some kind of pause or break I, to figure out. Yeah, yeah, or something. I, I definitely, yeah, a transition year or a year of like, um, you know, I had this longing to go travel South America, which I eventually did in my mid twenties, but or Central America. Um, but I was more of uh, I just college didn't really um, nothing really stuck in college. I was definitely there more for the social aspect um, and partying aspect. I didn't really um, learn much, and I got B's. I got by, but I don't I don't remember learning a whole lot. Sounds similar to my undergrad experience, and then it wasn't until graduate school that I found, you know, what I really wanted to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Share a little bit more about this just rebellion, or just you grew up with some privilege and with, you know, you had to work and you were taught to save, um, and yet you were given a lot. And 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 when it or how at some point did you declare you know, money is evil or just money is is not something I'm interested in. Yeah, and, well, it was all connected there. to my dad. Okay. Yeah, it was all connected to my dad. And I see this with men I work with, you know, for years where we're, we're going to try to differentiate and, and uh, become a different person than our father and uh, some men anyway. And those of us that want to be different from our dads will do the opposite. So if we grow up with a poor dad, we'll become rich. If we grow up with a rich dad, we'll try out being poor for a while, you know, just, I'm just making really basic generalities here. And for me, it was, it was my anger and rebellion toward my dad to, and basically saying, I'm different than you. So he was a conservative, you know, tie wearing businessman. So I grew my hair out. I started smoking pot and um, I started, you know, being outside all the time and sleeping on the ground and living outdoors. And, um, we had some shared values, like we built, he was a ski racer, I became a ski racer, I eventually, he was a ski coach, I became a ski coach. Um, so there was, we had some similarities, and we had shared values there, but there was some way in which, and this was all unconscious, I was unconsciously just trying to be my own man, be my own person. And um, I also disagreed with his values. I didn't like, at the time, I was, because I was into nature, he was a commercial real estate guy. He was cutting down nature to build buildings and parking lots. And I was pissed at that. I was like, no, no, we need to stop doing that. So the last thing I wanted to do was make money and work for him. Did he want you to come work with him at some point? Was that? He did. He did. And we, we tried that out for a little while. Um, And it was extremely boring for me. And it was, yeah, it was not a fit. So did you also write off business and entrepreneurship and say, yep. I, I'm not yeah. going to be part of that either because of how he does it? And Well, not the entrepreneurship. That's what I definitely uh, – there was something I loved about my dad that respected, which was he was an entrepreneur and he started his own business. 
and he made it happen. And I, I always liked that. And all my friends were like, man, your dad's such a badass. And they would compliment him while I was like going the other direction, you know? And, uh, I, so I, I sort of rejected cu- uh, wearing a tie and a coat. And I tried that. I got, I got a job after college wearing a tie for two years. And, um, my way of rebelling there was to wear Birkenstocks. And then I got written up for that. So, but bottom line is I was, um, I tried the tie thing on and it was so not a fit for me. It was, a, you know, I liked, I loved the job I had. I, it was a really amazing job. I was a leadership consultant and, yeah, I got to work with people all the time. So it was very fulfilling that way, but I didn't like the game of wearing a tie. I'm like, what the hell is this? So, um, but I, and then after that, I stumbled around trying to find my own business basically. And so I, and I started my first business in my 20s guiding uh, wilderness trips. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was a thread. That's part of your lineage that you did respect and appreciate and admire. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't yeah. want to be the person dealing with money because oh. I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't want to. You yeah. know, I, I was still, like, completely unconscious there. So, you know, then you go to graduate school and – you know, as I say all the time, it was completely left out of our training. <laughs> we studied every single topic yeah. under the sun beyond. Our school loan comes due, we start a private practice, or we work in the field, and boom, you know, we have to suddenly deal with money. So where yeah. did your, you know, freak out, well, for me it was a student loan, that was my freak out moment. For you, where was the epiphany? Where was the, holy shit, I got to deal with this. I have to, I, I have to take this on, or did you, continue to want to ignore it and have nothing to want to have nothing to do with it for a long time well i slowly in my 20s i started waking up just a teeny bit a little every year was just a little bit more responsible like the more responsibility i had and uh, i remember racking up some credit card debt and then i didn't I, i was missing my bills and then i got a credit report i think in my 20s sometime and i remember my dad getting so pissed because my credit report was really bad and he was just like shamed me, like, "What the fuck are you doing? I thought I taught you how to blah blah blah." Because he tried. I, I, my dad was awesome in that he tried to teach me about money and business, and I just was not really listening. Um, but a few of those kind of things in my twenties, like the credit report, I remember that happening. Um, and the job after college, they invested um, a portion of our um, income and our earnings into the market, and they created a. 401k for us and so I started to learn like oh what's this thing 401k you mean and then I started saving I had all this money again um so I was kind of seesawing around an interest level I would kind of get interested and then I would sort of peace out for a little while Uh, but it really wasn't until uh, grad school I I told my parents I want to pay for this myself Um, my parents were they were they sort of got into it a little bit with should we pay for his grad school or not and they uh, they want to give. You know, it makes them feel good when they can give to their kids. That's sort of one of their values is we give through – this is one of the ways we show love is giving gifts of, like, I'll pay for your grad school. But it wasn't clear, and, and they started to offer it. I just pushed back and was like, no, absolutely not. But I did I did take ten grand from them. I said, okay, I'll let you guys pay for a little bit, basically. But I want to do the rest because I'm like a big boy now. I want to learn how to do this. And I was 29 years old. I was like, it's time for me to learn how to pay for these kind of things myself. And so I applied for student loans and um, 
got them, and I'm still paying those off, by the way. But, yeah. you know, I started moving in that direction. And then it, it sort of, uh, again, I was in this cozy grad school environment where I was getting this student loan check. So, and I worked. I took the job, a very part-time job in grad school. But it wasn't until Ellen and I, my wife now, um, got into a relationship and then eventually got married and had our first kid that then the switch turned on. And this is true. Okay. This happens a lot of men will talk about this, that like there's that provider switch that gets turned on as soon as you have a kid. That it's, it kind of helps a man did for me a new level of responsibility of kind of, oh, shit. And wanting to really be there and be, you know, uh, and not wanting other people to do it for me. Like I want to provide for my own family. So that began, and that was shortly after that, Barry, was when we reached out to you and took your um, conscious bookkeeping course. Yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I don't know, 10, 11 years, 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. I think it was about yeah. 10 years ago or nine years ago. Yeah. 10 years, yeah. Yeah, something like nine and a half years I think ago. It, well, it, my, I think it might have been eight years ago because my son's eight. He's almost nine, and I'm pretty sure it happened, pretty sure we were in – uh, in that course, when, either when my wife was pregnant or when we had our son. So it was somewhere in there. Okay, okay. And it was when I had a six-month child myself for one year, one one year old. I'm just, you know, we're trying yeah. to do it according to when, uh, how old our children are. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so this was a huge moment for you at 29 to declare, I'm going to pay for this on my own. And I'll take a portion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you ten thousand for graduate school. I don't even know if it's a fourth. You know, of <laughs> maybe yeah, it it's wasn't. a fourth. Yeah. Um. So it was something because so you let your parents give, right? And yeah, that's that's how they like to give. That's how they like to yeah. they like to pass on their money, their wealth. Um. They didn't have it growing up, and it's just a, that's what happens in generations, and that's how they want to pass on love. So you said okay to some of yeah. it, but you declared, I want to do this on my own. It's important. It's essential for me as a man, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. yeah. And then um, having your first child. So what happened there? It says You said you woke up, and that's when you took the conscious bookkeeping. And then I'd love to hear a little bit of just – where you were waking up, and I'd love to hear your journey about bookkeeping and QuickBooks because I know you got stuck there in a big way, yep. and we're searching for the ideal bookkeeping system, which doesn't exist, but you were searching yeah. high and low and went through like a whole routine that was painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so can you share that? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, well, and I just have to say that I was also still, and, and even to this day at times, um, I want to be rescued. You know, okay. I want someone to come in and with their yeah. cape and just magically handle my finances. Um, and that's less and less so each year, the more uh, awake I get there. Um, but at that time, for example, like with Ellen and I, it was like, who's going to take the class and who's going to get their shit together about money? And I was, you know, we were both secretly wanting the other person to deal with it. <laughs> you know, like and you deal with mm -hmm. it. You know? Mm -hmm. I'm always, I, at the time, I was, like, jealous of friends who, like, oh, my wife just takes care of that, or my husband, just, he's just really on it there. He just handles our finances. I was like, oh, man, we we didn't get that in our family. <laughs> you didn't get that, Gene. Neither yeah. of you yeah. were like, oh, I'll learn the bookkeeping, and I'll track all our yeah. money, and then yeah. show you we, the income and expenses, you know, and you can review it every month. That's not 
Yeah, and I'm so grateful that no one came in and rescued Mm -hmm. me because I needed to continue to grow up on my own. And so the bookkeeping story really is we took your class or I took your class and we both sort of shared uh, what we were learning and we're trying to, I think we got signed up with Mint. That was one of our first attempts and you had us make different lists. And so we were doing that and the sort of receipt piles. And so that was how it went for a few years. And then I, you know, I, at the time I was in a in private practice um, here in Boulder and my practice was doing really well. And the, it's pretty easy to manage uh, my own business when I'm just collecting checks each month. And, and yet still I was disorganized. And so eventually I thought up um, my friend Keith who I said, dude, you got to, as my business started growing and it was becoming more apparent that I was having a successful private practice. It's about creating online courses. Um, I said, Keith, he was really good. He was an accounting major in undergrad. And I said, dude, can you mentor me? And for one year, he we got signed up on QuickBooks uh, online, I think. Or no, no, it was not the QuickBooks online. It was the QuickBooks that you download on your computer. That's what it was. Um, and then he mentored me for a year straight. And it was like we would meet sometimes once a month. Sometimes it was like three times in a month. And by the end of that year, I knew how to do QuickBooks. And how did you feel at the end of that year? I felt great. I felt so – it was like such a victory for me because I was like, oh, my God, I can do it. Um, I did it, and I can manage my own books. I still didn't like it. I wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't like a – uh, that pleasant of an experience, but the feeling it gave me, it's like a hard workout, you know, you, you don't necessarily enjoy it when you're in it, but afterwards it feels great. And throughout that year, it's it's so realistic what you're saying, you know, because a lot of people I think feel or think they're going to learn a bookkeeping system, you know, within one trainee session or within a month. Right. It takes, right. It takes months and I learned it similar to you and with a box of tissues so I can have breaks to cry and, Lots yeah. of so what was your version? Yeah. How did you stick in there, stay in there? How did you stay committed? I mean, an entire year. Yeah. I was Well, I was starting to study um, entrepreneurs at that point a little bit, just starting to dabble and people who had a lot of money. And I was like, well, I want a lot of money. How, how am I going to do that? Well, I, I started learning pretty quickly that I had a lot of money blocks and money issues, and part of what made just basic accounting or bookkeeping challenging was just my own um, stuff around money. So I had to um, start to look at that, and I did sessions around that. I um, did journaling on that. I bought books and courses, and I went to – did I go to any – no, I didn't go to a money workshop, but I – yeah, I got, I got a huge, um, like, seven or six disc set from a friend with like 10 hours of money talks. You know, I started um, listening more and more to, to wealth building. How do you build wealth and how do you, and so much of it is like you get organized. You like yeah. the universe isn't going to give you money if it's all disorganized. Why would the universe want, want to do that? Like it's got to be, it's got to have a place to land and be received. So, so that was realize, good lessons for me. Yeah. So you realize how important the foundation was and how important this, bookkeeping thing that seems something that you just wanted to ignore or not deal with because it's so boring or hard to learn or you just realize it's it's the foundation of a lot. 
Yeah, and and also my psychology. I knew that the psychology piece was was huge. Um, and uh, yeah, that that was pretty pivotal for me. I feel like if people don't work with their money psychology, it's going to be hard to break through whatever your next money goal is. You know. And for you, was it about your father and just who he was and you needing to become a different man and your own man and also the levels of anger that you've already talked about, like just having this desire to be rescued and someone's going to do this for you? Was it – or that money meant a certain thing. Were those – was that a lot of the terrain of your money psychology? It was all that. Yeah, all that. Barry, it was all that. There was There was deeper – definitely deeper layers around dad that I had to really get into. Um for example, like not wanting, and this is, you know, just for anyone listening, you got to check in. Like, is part of your unconscious block that you don't want to um, surpass your parents because yeah. this they would feel bad or they would feel jealous. So you're going to stay smaller than them and let them shine their light brighter than you. You know, that prevent that was definitely one of my blocks, and that's I see that in a lot of people is there's this unconscious investment in keeping sort of the family status quo deal. Of success, yeah. so there was you know I, I hit many many layers there. That was one of them. So, one of the questions I love to find out about is you know what was a really big financial challenge that you got through, and how did you get through it, and what did you have to overcome? And you may have already been talking about this and sharing this story with your father and with having your first child, but. Is is there another one? Is there another really yeah. challenge? Yeah, I'd say one of my biggest ones, Barry, was um, so I decided as a psychotherapist here, I had a full practice wait list here in town, and I I wasn't liking it. I was not fulfilled, and I wanted I was frustrated, and I wanted to go to the next level uh, in my own psychology, with success, and my business. So I got clear that I wanted to take it online and build a bigger platform online. And um, I went to a workshop. Uh, I remember the month, it was February, and uh, I think it was February. Yeah, I think, so in January, basically, I closed my practice down. I I literally, like, fired all my clients. And the only people I kept on, there was, like, three people. I, like, doubled my rates. And I was like, I'll keep working with you if you pay me X. And so a couple people hung around. And, um and I basically just – and I did not really have a good plan. Um, this was a super valuable lesson. I didn't have a plan. Like, I just kind of shot myself in the put, foot and said, I'm done with this, and I'll just figure out the next step. The universe – I'm just going to trust, and the universe is going to, like, kind of show up with this new – because I closed this door, a new one's going to open, and it's just going to happen for me. Well, what happened in February is we had, like, or I had my worst month ever. I think I made, like – $2,000 or something, and our rent was, I think, uh, maybe $1,700 $1, at the time, and it, and it was tight, really tight, and I think we had two kids at the time. We might have had, might have just been our son. Anyway, it was a kind of a scary month because I was not used to making that little, and it was a kind of a big oh shit moment, and then I went to a workshop in April. I started scrambling. And I started doing some things. I started seeing clients again. I was like, oops, uh, just kidding. Um, I'll see you again. (laughs) Uh, And in April, I went to a workshop, and one of the days was all about money. 
and it just kind of cracked me open to a new possibility around money. And then, and, and the big block for me was I had this huge no against sales and marketing. And I worked through that. And then I just was on a tear after that. Um, in the summer, June, July, August, I was taking every course I could on online marketing and spelling and um, how to build a business online and teach online courses. I was just like devouring everything and I was obsessed. And that's when it started picking up. So you did the slash and burn, you did the blow up, blow up version of I'm ready to make a change. I see I'm ready. And I'm just going to blow up, blow this whole thing up. And yep. it's a tactic, right? It's a strategy. Um, yeah. You know, in re- well, in retrospect, like, how do you see that now? Or we're, you know, sometimes in life, that may be the path. It's like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm it, beyond done. You know, I need to be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, in retrospect, it, it, was, it, was, the, it was a good move because I needed to feel like, because, again, I grew up in privilege, I needed to feel a deeper level of scarcity and oh-shitness to get okay. going. Okay. You know, I really needed okay. to get a lower down to potential survival, like what probably most people deal with every day yep. um, uh, that I'm not in touch with because I have a lot of privilege. Um, it was probably the closest I've ever been to that that was real. And it was like, oh, shit. And um you know, when you think of you have kids and a wife and they're kind of counting on you, it just, um, it was what I needed. It was like a bottom, even though Mm -hmm. it was a bottom, bottom for for most people, that'd be like, whatever, dude. For me, it it was closer, the closest I've been. And it was enough to um, ignite something in me. And that's what I needed to do, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that because we are all different. You know, what is, going to be what is going to give us that fire under our butts to create and if we have everything being taken care of um we 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 can't find that you know yeah i yeah i know that well um that was what also got me in action too you know is when i had to feed myself and put a roof over my house and for you you ignited this with a wife and two very young babies Know. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened in the family dynamic or um it sounds like, you know, you 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 hit it, hit that bottom for you at that time and you were also in provider mode. I know you both. Mm-hmm. You're dual income, but I know at that time maybe you were well, you had ba- she had ba- you, you both had babies, so you were still bringing in more, right? Yes. Yeah. And so what happened? Yeah, in your family, it was just a huge transition. Did you guys have to simplify for a few months? Were you kind of saying, hey, red alert, we need – we call it maximum lockdown in our family. Like when we're in a cash flow dip, and then one uh-huh. of us will jokingly say maximum lockdown, even though that sounds really harsh and intense. But it's more just like, hey, yeah. dial it down. <laughs> you know, everyone dial it down. We're going to get yep. through this. This is a transition. Yeah. Were you freaking out? Yeah. Were you – I know you started um, I mean, I was but, a little yeah. – I, I was a little freaking out and, and more, um, but again, compared to, you know, most people's freak out, that's pretty mild. But for me, it was freaking out. And, um, you know, we just dipped into savings. It was like, okay. all right, okay. well, this is, this is what this is for. Um, we have to uh, use this money. Yeah. And uh, it's going to help us out. 
so how did you get that savings again? You know, is that because you're such a good saver and you do uh, go right back into that? <laughs> yes and no. Uh, I So in my 20s, my dad set my siblings up and I with being a business partner in his business. Mm-hmm. So every year we would get a little cut from his business and that would just go right into savings. So uh, because I was still for years, I was like, I'm not touching this money. It's not mine. That was part of my rebellion. Uh, I mean, there was one year I even gave it back to him. Um, anyway, <laughs> so there's a, there's a savings account that's like a non-touchable savings account. And it's like, well, that's what this is for. We're going to dip into that savings account. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, that's the, that's the cushion. Like, hey, you're going to be okay, you know. Okay. And so uh, it was really nice, you know. Thank God. Um, because I wasn't ready. I wasn't about to go take a, a quote, real job. I would have just gone back and seen more clients, which is what I started to do. Um, okay. And that got us through, you know. And then Ellen, mm-hmm. I think, if she, if I remember right, she probably picked up more uh, work as well. Okay. So there still is a cushion. You know, there still is a family cushion. Um, and there's, you know, healthy and unhealthy versions of relating to that and how yeah. we feel about oh, yeah. it. And, you know, our some families want to pass down money, um, as we've already mentioned, and sometimes it's just a really beautiful, loving expression. Other times it's filled with conditions that don't feel good, you know. Yeah. sounds like yeah. you've been saying yes and no and yes and no. You know, you've been working with that for years. But in a major transition, whenever you have babies, we did the same thing. We had to go to savings um, that we had saved up and then a 0% credit card because in a transition, right, you need either savings or family money or a 0% credit card. That's just what's real in any big transition. Yeah. Yeah, and we did both, by the way. Thanks for reminding me. So we did – we also put some stuff on a credit card. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you took some of the responsibility on you. Yeah, it's – yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dipping into savings and um, credit cards. And that's mm-hmm. been, you know, that's always been um, the case, I think, when I, whenever it's been hard, is like, okay, credit cards, savings. Mm-hmm. But here's, like, this is where I'm really proud of myself. In the last, I don't know how many years, maybe five years, four years, um, I haven't, like, one of my goals for myself was I'm not touching any of that money because I want to make this myself. I want to do this journey myself for my own journey. Like this is just what I need for my own confidence and my own maturation process. And that's the, that's the crutch of privilege is, and I see it a lot obviously in this town and it really disempowers people because um, if you grow up with privilege and you're, you're just awesome, generous parents want to keep helping out. um, It keeps you stuck where you are. And so um, I can't tell you how many people I know and have worked with that this is the deal. And um, so it feels really good for me just to break out of my own, um, just that that sticky web of, hey, it's okay, you can just have this, and it'll just be just great. It's very seductive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last several years have been very confidence building, just like so good, because it's like, I'm going to do this on my own, like, that's because that's what I need to do. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge to declare it. It's huge to go forth. It's huge to say, yeah, I really need to do this on my own. Um, And the money can still be there for future or your kids or, you know, who knows, right, at some point. But I see it as well. So many people who come from wealth don't know how to make their own money. 
and then that really impacts their sense of value and worth. And while our value and worth have nothing to do with how much money we have in the bank or how much money we actually earn, it's separate, and yet it all is connected, right? So yeah. most people yeah. want to know how to make their own money. They really, especially if they come from wealth and were given so much, you know. Yeah. They are dying, yeah. right? Living, you know, dying to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so and it robs his... people from their purpose too. You know, like like our meaning is found sometimes when we're really struggling, and mm. and then we have to kind of rise up and and work through that. Mm. But if we have this big buffer there, we, we may not get in touch with that pain, you know. So as you're doing this on your own and stepping into this more and more, and I know it took a while. It took a while. I mean, you you really quickly became an entrepreneur and started your own business, and um, but it still takes. How many years are you now in? How many is it? Five, um, this six? next year, I'm think I'm uh, next year will be four years. So okay. I'm still in okay. year three, uh, the oh, end of year three. Okay. Transitioning into year four. Okay. So you know, it's, you know, everyone says, it, and it's true, it really takes three to five years to hit really sustainable income. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm growing strong and I feel great about where I'm at. I have tons to, tons to learn and so many big places to go yet, but it's been, uh, yeah, I feel great about um, how far I've come. So, and and I know you've, you've, I mean, you've gotten out in such a significant way. It's, I mean, everything from your podcast to social media, you really embraced all of it, you know, and there's such a need for the relationship school. Um, but I want to go back to something you said earlier, and then we'll talk about couples to end, uh, couples okay. dynamics around money, but... Um, you know, as you were describing your relationship to money and saying anger is first, you know, underneath it is fair, but there's different versions of anger. And while you've moved through so many layers, what's this layer about um, I'm not earning enough, I need to earn more, because you've grown so much. And I know you're looking at your numbers because you have QuickBooks in place. Oh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, yeah, how you're looking at your numbers now, tracking patterns, cash flow, Every year, do you need to make more? What is enough? What's important to you around? Yeah, well, I, I have a, I'm on a mission to reach a million young people. So okay. I'm, I need a lot of money to do that um, because I want to train a lot of people and I want to get on bigger and bigger stages and platforms to get my message out. So um, it's not, for me, it's not about how much money can I make so I can get a bigger house and a fatter car or anything like that. It's going gonna, gonna to all go back into business. And it's going to go into savings so that I can really, truly grow wealth and become financially free. So mm. my goals are like that. Okay. Um, okay. And I want, to, I want to keep busting my ceiling every year, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Mm. So every year you know what the ceiling is from the year before. You know what the numbers are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And then do you sit and do you celebrate what you have done um, and where you're going each year? <laughs> that's still harder for me. Um, <laughs> you, you sort of that question you probably ask a lot of people, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't, a lot of us don't do that. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I I'm okay about okay. celebrating where I'm at because I'm I'm just such a driven human being now because I'm yeah. on such a clear mission that it's like uh, yeah that's cool. And it's like let's clap our hands for a minute um, and let's keep going. You know, mm. <laughs> that's kind of mm. 
there's such a tough love, like, intense approach to that. You know, I'm like, hey, where's the love and compassion? And stop and celebrate, you know, and yeah. really yeah. celebrate what the year has been. And defining it, you know, I define money success on a few levels. It's not just growth. It's, you know, also did I have more compassionate, loving money conversations with my son, you know, with my husband? Uh-huh. Uh, did we donate right. a little more? You know, it's all every year. It's a little different, um, yeah. and many yeah, years of point. growth too. So yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, we, I, I mean, like this year, we we bought a house. For example, we're so we're first time homeowners. I didn't know really, that. Really, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Really big deal. I mean, you know, it's just a, again another step in getting my grown up pants on, okay. and um, it was just uh, really right for us. It was time. And so, and then we celebrate that, you know, in our own way. It's like, oh my God, we just bought a house and now we're in it and it feels so good. And so there are, we do, and Ellen's good about helping me slow down and, and receive. Um, so, you know, it's a good reminder. I could, but definitely a, probably a weaker muscle of mine. Hmm, okay. Okay. Um, so couples and money. Uh, mm-hmm. you, how do you guys do it um, in your own marriage? Anything that you want to share? Yeah, sure. We do um, money dates. And for the last two years, this is our second year, end of our second year of having a budget. Second year, you know. Pretty proud of ourselves. And what does that mean to you, a budget? Yeah, everyone everyone uh, says, everyone defines budget, budget is, in a budget our, way. Uh, yeah, a budget of our joint finances, finances, what we're spending each month, what we're going to spend for the year, and all the categories that we're going to spend money in. We know about groceries. We know about kids, you know, books. We know about clothing, um, mm. entertainment, eating out versus uh, eating in. We know, we're, we've got a budget, and we, we're, like, under budget by, like, a 1000 bucks last year, and we're, I think, going to be under budget again this year. And we'll find out here in a couple of weeks. So we're pretty on point. We do money dates. Um, sometimes it's once a week. Right now it feels more like once a month. Um, and Ellen, oh, you just you just uh, cut out we, for one second, Jason. You cut out right there. You said okay. Sometimes it's once a week, and yeah, and sometimes once a month. Okay. Um, and we're she's leading more right now in the. Um, Checking in with our bookkeeper. We have a bookkeeper, a personal bookkeeper. I have a business bookkeeper, so we have two bookkeepers. Um, and she checks in with the bookkeeper probably twice a month and then kind of reports to me. And then we sit down, usually kind of a money date style format. And we go over it. We go over exactly what we did this month, what we spent, where were we, where were we over, where were we under, where's the discrepancies. So we're really tracking stuff. And we've caught mistakes, you know. Like we're tracking it that much that we've caught mistakes from our bank or from the bookkeeper. It's like, hey, why is it here? That should be over here. And again, it feels really empowering. So um, that's how we're doing our um, joint finances. Mm. So just to clarify, you learned QuickBooks for an entire year and then <laughs> felt really empowered by it and then passed it over to two different bookkeepers, one for personal, one for business. But you guys meet as a couple weekly, monthly, with two little kids. It's not easy to do. Yep. And actually set up a clear budget, a clear plan that you guys are keeping to. 
and uh-huh. and then having discussions like what's working, what's not. Is it does it feel like a rigid diet, or does it feel like something you have already negotiated before you set out this budget, like negotiated which values are important to you, which ways do you want to be spending, what are priorities, what are not? Did you do all of that work before you came up with this budget that you now are agreeing to? Yeah, yeah, and we're really aligned. I mean, we've worked really hard. Ooh, Jason, you're cutting out. You there? Yeah. Oh, you're cutting out. You're like all gurbly, warbly. Okay, I'm right here. Now you're here. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Sorry about that. Um, can you got me? I got you loud and clear now. Yeah, I don't know what it okay. is if you're like. Face has to be next to the phone right now. I don't know. Like, yeah, I just moved a little bit, so I'm sorry. Um, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, we we've worked really hard on our relationship, and we don't fight about money. I can't remember the last time we fought about money. Um, we're very aligned, and it's pretty. The hardest part of the money stuff for us is getting to the table to meet to go over things. That's the hardest part for us. Was there a time when you guys did fight about money, or were you both over there going, uh, "We'll just someone do this for us"? No, we we um, yeah, it was more like um, okay, we both agree that this isn't our wheelhouse. We can do it. We both know how to do it. We've learned how to do it now, and we I think it's time we invest in uh, paying someone else to help us out here uh, to free up our time a little bit, and it's going to do it maybe even better than we are. So, um, yeah, that's it was more like that. And then was there a time when we fought about it? I don't think so. Not, not in a big way. We would more fight about, um, uh, like, how much I'm working, things like okay. that. Not directly money, but more um, having challenges around who's working and and more like is this okay because we've got kids to deal with here and we all want to be present and we want to be available so how do we do this with competing mm, the, needs and careers and things like that got it. the time energy who gets to work out yeah who gets to work who gets to you know yeah we, we've had to we've had to navigate some big stuff there but it's never been you know it's never been um, adversarial it's been really like we've been a team you know it gets it gets intense sometimes sure but We've been really good with each other. Jason, I know you have a hard stop, and I have more questions to ask, but I want to honor your time and all that you've shared, and I'm so grateful for all of these beginning money stories that you've shared with all of us. And I'm as a way to complete, is there one thing that you would just love to share that you haven't shared yet that would this, this interview wouldn't feel complete unless you said it? Um, yeah, I would just say the thing I haven't said is give yourself permission to to want and earn uh, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a therapist, especially if you are on a spiritual path, especially if all yeah. these things, right, where we were taught like yeah. money is not spiritual. If you're a therapist, you shouldn't want or strive for money or any or all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah, and and by the way, I'm happy to if we want to tag on more time another time. I could do more time another. I could do like a part two if you ever needed that. So sounds good. Just because you sounds have more good. questions. 
I have more questions. I have more questions. And this was a wonderful, wonderful beginning. It was a full hour. And I just really honor and appreciate the work that you do in the world. And I love that we share Boulder and um, this community. And I'm just really grateful that I could have you on today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Barry, for helping people grow up around money. You certainly helped me a lot. So I have a big question for you now about couples and money, and I'd love you to tell us about how you and your wife, Ellen, handle and interact with money in your marriage, and please feel free to share how you did it at the beginning. Were there, did you merge accounts right away? Did you do separate accounts for years? Who did the tracking? When did you talk about money? Were there any money dates? What's different now? And just what have you learned over the years? I know this is a biggie. Just in general, sure. or in your marriage, what have been the money strengths and challenges? And, and share a little history of where you've been, what you've learned, and where you are now. Cool. Well, Barry, it started, if you remember, with your conscious bookkeeping course many, many years ago. Uh, one of us signed up for that and began to coach the other person on what we were learning. And um, it was awesome. That was our beginning. And that was basically, I think, our first year of marriage. So about 2007, um, we started to go, okay, oh, my gosh, we're together now. And we got a deal with our money. And um, both of us, we were kind of pointing the finger, hoping the other person would be the financially illiterate accountant in the marriage. And it turns out both of us were pretty incompetent there. So we, and, you know, and did you we have feelings about that, or were you just, was it I mean, like a blame shame, or was it just please? No, no, no. It, it was a no. It it, it was just like a, oh darn, we neither of us scored on that front, okay, and, and we're okay. left with each other. And okay, well, given that we're both financially younger people um, and less organized, what do we do? And so. We'd heard about you and your course, and so, uh, and we're both into when we we have pain or we want to learn something. We're the kind of people that are going to go learn it to feel more confident and better about ourselves or feel more organized in our lives. So, we signed up, took that course, uh, exceptionally helpful. We signed up for Mint.com and began to both take a stab at trying to figure out Mint, and I took the lead mostly, um, and uh, she helped out. And it was it was a great start, and it was still we had a long way to go uh, to become the people we are now financially. But it was an awesome start, and we were we were a team, you know. Um, and in that at that time, about when we got married, we decided to have a joint account, and then two separate personal accounts, and then we had our separate business accounts. So. That was a lot of moving parts, but that felt right for us, and that we kept it that way for many years. And then eventually we probably um, maybe – we've been married 10 years now, so probably six years in or so, we decided to merge our personal accounts into one account. So we have a shared family account. And that's our that's our money. And then I have a business account. She has a business account. So we have three accounts total. Okay, so you um, went from five accounts to three, and yeah. it's, it's a metaphor. I mean, it's it's quite a moment. And there's no right or wrong. Should you merge? Should you have separate? But I do watch couples along the way when they make that choice. 
So yeah. who initiated that, and was that easy, and was that just the obvious next step, and how, how did that happen? Yeah, I don't exactly remember, but it felt, if I look back in this moment, it, it feels like we, it just seemed the logical next step, which is, look, we're, we have an awesome relationship. Um, I want to be able to have the kind of account where if you want to go buy clothes or I want to go buy uh, gear or something, that we just do that, and um, we're not going to keep score on, well, you spent this much and I spent that much. That's just not how we've ever rolled um, around money. So if I happen to spend, let's say, $5,000 more a month for whatever reason and or $500 more and she spends nothing, that's okay in our relationship. Um, it's not a tit for a tat or a scorekeeping or a try to, hey, we have an equal budget for spending on personal stuff. It just doesn't – that's just not how we do it, and it's never been necessary to do it that way, and it works for us. It might not work for everybody, but it works for us. So logically, it was just like, yeah, let's just join our accounts, and because it's easier from a bookkeeping standpoint, yeah. like having yeah. five accounts just is more work, you know, more to track, mm -hmm. and there's more variables, there's more transferring money, and I got this bank account, and then I got that bank account, and honestly, it made things a lot easier um, for us. So that was really nice. Great, yeah. <clears throat> I remember for us, it was a moment when I got pregnant. And that was all very intentional, and then it became obvious, oh, this is our next step. It's time, after seven years of having separate accounts, it's time to merge. We're merged. <laughs> We're creating a yeah. human. It's time. It's obvious. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what else? If there's more in here. Just share a little bit more. Okay. Um, I would say, um, you know, we, we've taken turns on, so we tried Mint.com. Uh, we used that for many years. And then eventually, about the same time we merged accounts, we realized, no, maybe it was a little bit after that, we realized, uh, I can't remember if we were using Quick, Quicken, QuickBooks. I think we did Quicken for a while, or maybe, anyway, I don't remember the exact arc. But at some point we realized, since neither of us like to do the money, and now that we've gotten both competent, that we can do money, we can do bookkeeping, We'd rather not spend our time doing that. So we hired a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. And that was about two, three years, about three years ago. And uh, it was the very first year we created a budget. Um, so we finally got our shit together enough that we created a budget. And then we stuck to the budget more or less the whole year. And we were meeting with, in person with our bookkeeper for basically like had her hold our hand for like six months. Okay. Um, once a month, and then we would do a phone call with her once a week until okay. we felt like – until she was like, okay, you guys got it, and we were like, yeah, we got it. And then meaning we got it, meaning we're going to – you're just going to, like, do our books, and, and then you're going to give us updates, and we're going to have, like, a, a weekly money date, and we're going to go over the spreadsheet and uh, log in and just check it out. And that's what it started to become, and now – we don't even meet with our bookkeeper, but we have just an email exchange once a month okay. uh, with our bookkeeper, and it feels great. We just had a money date the other day. Um, at one point, we did go through a, a phase where we were doing a money date almost once a week because that that's what was kind of necessary to just get our consciousness like fully into the habit of this. And life happens, and sometimes we wouldn't meet for two weeks or three weeks, but then we would always come back around. And so like just the other day, we were – 
um, it's the beginning of new year and we hadn't done our forecasting for uh, 2018 yet and we just started the process uh, about three days ago and we haven't finished it but we started it, it feels good, we got into a little fight um, that, that tends to happen if it's like a little edgy topic and yeah. then it's like okay we work through that um, and it's usually like our little fights like that are usually about um, kind of it's not like about a value or we should spend here we should spend there it's more like I got a tone of voice somehow and then that was upsetting to her because it felt like I was being sharp with her about something and then she kind of comes back and it's more like that and it's not always about any content it's just the way I'm being because sometimes uh, money organization stuff can be frustrating for me so we have to navigate those little blips but we always we always do that pretty well so this is so important because you first started out by saying that you both didn't like money but it's really you both didn't like doing the tracking and the bookkeeping part and in that yeah. moment, you yeah, we like money. That you like money, exactly. Or you, you're right. be clear. <laughs> exactly. And so, but it, so you do like money. It was the tracking part that yeah. you learn how to do it, which is so important to know how to navigate around and all of that. Um, and then you decide to pass it on, but then you stayed engaged. Um, you created yeah. a practice yeah. there um, on a weekly yeah. basis for a while until you got the grooves going, the habits going. You know, you became intimate in this area. As you said, you yeah. wrapped yourself around the consciousness of this area of life. Like, there's so many different parts of it. So you have to do yeah. that for a while. You can't just throw it at a bookkeeper and be like, handle this. Now we're over here. You definitely were engaged and learning a lot and having many conversations and, track, you know, learning cash flow patterns and all of that. So yes. important, right? Totally. Um, and you totally. did that for six months, you know. Um, and then you created a budget. Can you just share a little bit more about that. There's all different kinds of budgeting. There's the tight, rigid, you know, kind of diet where you track to the penny or you say you need to spend within $50 of this range on groceries or this or that. Yeah. Did you guys do it that way or was there more room? Yeah, no, we don't. We, our, our money situation's never been so tight that we had to go down to the letter uh, or the penny for us. So, it's a pretty loosely held budget, um, but I think our first year we were under budget by $1,000 or so, uh, which was a big win for us. And how we created that was basically we took our expenses from the previous year, yes. our, our income and expenses, and we just looked at them, and we just did – we sat down with our bookkeeper, and we did numbers based on what we had spent the year before because the year before was basically like the first year of tracking because we couldn't create a budget. We didn't really even know. Um, so the first year was just collecting the data, and then the second year, um, with the bookkeeper's help, we said, okay, here's now let's create categories, let's sharpen the categories, and let's create budgets based on these categories and based on the numbers we spent last year. And then it's like, let's just try to, generally speaking, stick to these. And in some categories, it's like, um, you know how you can do, like, uh, accounts or um, categories that are not fixed every month, there's in the mm -hmm. spring, we spend X, you know, a lot, and then there's we spend nothing the rest of the year, for example, or something. Um, we had to just make those decisions, right? Do we want to budget $100 a month for this, or do we want to budget only in March for this? Got it. Um, so those, those tricky little decisions, but overall, we hold it fairly loosely, but tight enough. It's kind of like that Zen saying, not too tight, not too loose for mm -hmm. us. Um, tight enough that we aren't dropping it completely and checking out. 
So this is music to my ears. It's also reminding me and everyone, this takes time, folks. This is not a quick fix. This is, you know, we, we did not learn this from grade school and up. You know, in small increments, we're learning this as adults. Um, and it's going to take a whole year of gathering data. And then once you have that, oh, yeah. my God, there's so much you, more you can do, you know, and you can – you know on average what your monthly expenses are, what you did that year. And if it's a similar year, it may not be, but if it is, then you can go with that as a, you know, as a, as a budget and go from there. I love it. Okay. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm taking, I've taken a couple uh, classes on money. Um, I've read books on money. Um, Ellen mostly, my wife mostly does now the kind of weekly check-ins around our, our finances, and then she updates me. Um, and then we have a, like I said, about a monthly meeting or every a couple of weeks now, uh, some kind of money date where we sit down and be like, how are we doing? Are we on track? What's up? Where, where are the concerns? Are we over, under? And we just look at it and it feels really empowering. And now we're investing and we're saving and we're, I track our net worth, uh, month to month. So I know what our debt looks like. I know what our um, savings looks like, I know what our investments look like. So it feels extremely empowering. Wonderful, wonderful. And then the last piece here before we complete is just the little fights that you mentioned, you know. Yeah. So this is also so important for people to know that, you know, it doesn't mean you get your money in order or you figure out how to do money dates as a practice and you know what your numbers are and create a budget and then the little arguments or disagreements or discomfort just stops you know or we we never have feelings again in this area of life that's not how it goes so i love that you guys have been doing this work for years and in your money date you said you you know had you had a little fight and it was more just about your face or your tone or your frustration grumpiness around having to deal with this in that particular moment right and that was affecting her so this is where, I mean, you teach this. You teach how to how to communicate. You teach how to deal with all the little moments or glitches um, as we're relating. So yeah. you you guys are like you guys are really practiced in that. So are you so practiced in that 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 just spills over into these money dates and or does money feel a little separate um, or no? No, it's just. It's yeah, go ahead. You just one of the many challenges of life and, and one of the areas where you have to negotiate with your partner and work through uh, different ways of seeing things and disagreements and different values. And so, yeah, it's just it could be sex, it could be money, it could be health, it could be uh, the house, you know, whatever the, the thing is, it's, you know, there's going to be disagreements and there's going to be conflict and, and upset. And the, the it's not to avoid that or be afraid of that it's to embrace that and learn how to repair it's all about learning how to repair efficiently and effectively and and we do that well we do that really well can you just explain that i keep saying one more one more but explain repair because this goes back to the beginning and what your work is in the world and how important it is this is you know i say we didn't learn about money we didn't learn financial literacy we didn't learn emotional literacy and your work you know of of yeah how to communicate and when little glitches happen, which they happen all the time, how to repair. Just explain what that is, and we'll complete on that note. Okay, cool. Well, what what we know now through neuroscience is it's not the conflict and upset that happens between a parent and child, for example. It's all about the repair. 
And um, we're not very practiced as a culture in the repair. We tend to lean on, I'm sorry, hey, I'm sad. I said, I, I'm sorry already, what are you, why are you going over this? And that just doesn't really repair an upset nervous system. It doesn't help the nervous system calm down. So we really need to be have our partners back and take good care of them and their nervous system. And the way we do that is to repair well. And that just means we had an upset and some there was some snag. We're both a little triggered or someone's a little shut down, the other person's not, and but we, we're disconnected now. And the work is to repair that connection and get into a good vibe again so that it feel, just feels good. And um, that takes practice also. So money just happens to be the, the issue that day, but it could be, again, um, laundry or um, school or uh, sex or something else. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be an upset for the rest of your life. It's how you, as a couple, repair that and work through that together to the point of completion where you both feel like, hey, we cool? Yeah, we're cool. Ah, I can, And I feel let down in my body. And she feels let down in her body. And, and we cruise on our merry way. Um, that's an essential skill in life. Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on my Money Memoir series. Thank you for sharing your honest and open money stories with all of us. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Barry. I'm so grateful for you and the work you're doing in the world. And I really appreciate you for helping me um, begin my money uh, wakefulness journey. Thank you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.